Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you, worship team, for leading us and preparing our hearts for worship and, and music, but also as we prepare to hear from God in His Word. I'd just like to take a moment and pray, pray together, and seek uh, the Holy Spirit's leading and guidance. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning. And we are thankful that we can come together as we've sang and, and talked about and heard about as your children. We're here united in what you have done in your work on the cross. So now we want to, to silence our hearts and we want to listen to you and to hear from you. We pray that you will speak not only to us individually, but to us as, as a church, as a family, as a community that you have called together. And we are asking that in this moment, in this morning, that you will work in our hearts, that you will teach us, challenge us, and change us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is good to see everyone. If you are visiting, uh, if you're new, you might be like, that's not Pastor Brian. That's right. I'm Pastor Eric. I'm the children's pastor. Uh, it's my joy, my privilege to be here this morning to preach uh, Pastor Brian, they had, they had a marriage in their family. His daughter was married this weekend, so they had a great time celebrating that. And, uh, and as a result, I am here preaching out of Nehemiah, and I am very excited about that. So here we are, end of February, and I don't know if you've noticed anything lately, but how many of you have, have known or you know of a family or friends who've recently taken a trip to someplace warm in the last month or two? Okay, I'm not going to ask you if you did take a trip because people are just not going to like you. So this is, but in Seattle, this is that time, this is that season, right, where people are start. They they just need a little break from the overcast. They need some sun. They need to be refreshed. Do any of you feel that? Like I just, you know, it's it's been gloomy. I just need a little like refreshment right now. So you know, a question that I, I have for for you is, what do you do for renewal. What do you do for renewal? What do you do to be refreshed? Do you go to a warm climate? Maybe, maybe it's smaller things. You know, our culture where we live, we are obsessed with renewal and rejuvenation and, and being younger. You know what one of my greatest fears is? One of my greatest fears is my wife, Cheryl, asking me to go to a department store and get a product in the skincare or one of those sections. <clears throat> I mean, I'm already off to a bad start because I got guy eyes, right? Like, I can look right at it. I, I walk through Fred Meyer or, you know, I walk through Target and I, and I go to the section. I'm looking for, like, skincare, toothpaste. And I'm like, oh, my word, how much stuff is there that will make me look like I'm 18, right? Like, the skincare products, wear this, and you'll have the skin, you know, skin as smooth as a baby. You know, put this on. Your hair will look young. It'll grow back. I'm like, not happening, right? And... And you're going through, and there's all these products that say, this is going to make you look young. This is going to make you feel young. And why are we obsessed with that? We're obsessed because maybe if we can look younger, if we can feel younger, then suddenly all of our problems, we, we can be refreshed, right? We can deal with our problems. And yet the reality is, even though our culture and our world around us is obsessed with looking younger, feeling younger, being rejuvenated, we still find ourselves in a culture where, the, where every, every conversation we have with other people is, 
I'm tired. I'm stressed. Every headline, every new study that comes out shows that people are anxious, depressed. And so obviously, our tactic of trying to, trying to find renewal through, through these products, through, the, through, these, through all these other avenues, it's not really working for us, is it? It's not really working. So what do we do to find renewal? Now, sure, God has given us a lot of ways to lead his people to, uh, to find rest when it comes to, but when it comes to a deeper renewal of, of our hearts and of our minds and of our souls, something greater is needed. And we're going to see this morning as a church how God led his people to spiritual renewal. And then we're going to see and ask how we today as a church can find renewal. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to be in chapter 8. And, and so now in the book of Nehemiah, where we are, the focus is shifting, all right? We've spent the last several weeks building up to this moment where Nehemiah has gone back. He's seen the condition of, of Jerusalem, of the city, and he has seen that the city was, was in shambles, and, and most importantly, the wall was in shambles. And so he's been built, they've been building the wall, right? We've been talking about that process. And they have seen conflict um, and opposition throughout, conflict and opposition from the outside, the enemy trying to stop them, so much so that they had to work with a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. Not very effective, not very efficient. And there was also conflict and struggle within the congregation, within um, the walls of Jerusalem. And so they had to, to go and, and oppose these forces, but finally, the wall is finished. And so this is where we find ourselves today in Nehemiah chapter 8. The wall has been finished, and now the focus goes from the physical condition of Jerusalem to the spiritual condition of Jerusalem and the people, of God's people, the Jews. And so there's this, this shift that is happening. And there's a great emphasis on the spiritual condition of God's people. So they have built the wall, and they're looking at it. They're saying, yeah, that's a nice wall right there. But it's time to, to dedicate it. It's time to make a commitment. So we have this wall here to protect the people, but they realize that that isn't enough. A physical wall isn't going to, to change the heart of the community if the heart of the community isn't changed and repurposed and renewed. So we see God's people seeking renewal. And we're going to look at what they do. And we're just going to take this passage um, uh, paragraph by paragraph, chunk, uh, one chunk at a time. And so if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to look at the first thing that the people do to find renewal. And that's in verses 1 through 6. And that is God's people find renewal when they seek the Scriptures. God's people find renewal when they seek the Scriptures. This is what it says in verse one, starting in verse one. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. 
And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his right, uh, and on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, uh, Hashem, Hebet. Here we go. Hashabana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So the first thing that we see is God's people seek, renew, look, find, and look for renewal is they seek the scriptures. Something that jumps out in these first few verses is the number of times that the people are mentioned, that, that phrase, the people. The people initiated what was happening. The people went out and they asked Ezra to come and bring the book, bring the law, and read it aloud. It was the people who prepared the wooden platform for Ezra to stand up above everyone to read out to the congregation. It was the people who took the initiative in the, in the first place to seek out and hear the scriptures read. So it was the people who took the initiative to, to hear the scriptures. Now, we also have to kind of place this in context because in verse 2, you'll notice uh, towards the end that it said that this all happened on the first day of the seventh month. And you're like, oh, that makes sense, right? No, it doesn't because we don't really understand what's the significance of the seventh month. Well, during the seventh month in the Hebrew calendar, this was a very significant religious month. They had three feasts or celebrations or holy days that they celebrated. They had the Feast of Trumpets, they had the uh, Day of Atonement, and they had the Feast of Tabernacles. Three significant religious uh, festivities and celebrations that they were going to celebrate as a community. Well, what does that mean? That's like, imagine us and Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, right? Like, what happens come mid-November? What are we all doing? We're getting ready, right? Because we know the storm is about to approach. We know that once Thanksgiving Day hits, it's on. Ugly Christmas sweaters and all, right? Like Christmas music. And, and so we have in our mind, we know that the month, uh, the end of November all the way through January 1st is like one big celebration, right? And this is kind of what is happening here in the seventh month in their calendar. This is what was supposed to happen for the people of God, for, for the Jews. They were going to celebrate three festivals, three cer uh, ceremonies where they were going to remember and rejoice in God. So this was a pretty big um, season for them in their identity and who they were as God's chosen people. 
And so to kick this off, they open the scriptures and they start to read, all right? And so they read and they respond with reverence, but then we also see that in the initiative that they want to seek the word as they hear the word, that they respond with reverence and preparation. And how do we see that? Ezra was reading, and what did the people do? The people respond by all of them raising their hands. And something happened this morning that I wasn't expecting, and I loved it, and it actually ties right into to this passage of Scripture. When Peter came up to give announcements, and he shared that we have a team of people going to Turkey here in, in just a short while, we, he asked everyone to stand, and what did he ask? He said, what? Put your hands out towards them as we pray over them. And I know I cheated. I looked. But most everybody was putting their hands up as we prayed over them. Now, why did we do that? Why did we put our hands and point them towards those people who are going as we prayed? Because our posture can reflect what our heart and our desire is, right? Our posture can reflect what our heart is. And the people, their posture reflected their hearts for worship and their hearts for seeking God. Now, I think this is a great moment to pause and just talk a little bit about posture and worship. And, and I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I think it's important. A little background about me, if you knew me, I grew up in a very small, conservative, fundamental church. We had a nickname, okay? We were called the Frozen Chosen, okay? Anyone else out there grow up as the Frozen Chosen, okay? Anyone still the Frozen Chosen? This is funny, because if they are, they're not going to raise their hand, all right? And, and, and so growing up in this culture, we were told, don't get emotional, worship is with reason, and you stand with two hands tied to your pants. If, if the Holy Spirit was moving, you better put them in your pocket, right? Because, like, you don't move, you don't show any posture in worship. Now, I'm, I'm oversimplifying that. There is a time to stand and to reason with the Scriptures for sure. But there is significance to our posture when we are worshiping and when we are hearing the Word. What do they say? 80% of communication is actually through what? Your hands, your motion. I was watching Pastor Nick's video, right? And he's talking and his hands are moving and he's saying, you can work here, we're going to go here, right? Like, do you enjoy having a conversation with somebody who talks like this and doesn't move their hands? Wow. Yeah, that coffee conversation is going to last about five minutes for me, okay? We communicate with our posture. If my sons are disobedient and I'm getting serious with them, my posture changes, right? <laughs> Maybe it's I, I stand over them. I'm your dad. Maybe it's one of those, I need you to look me in the eyes, right? Our posture matters. And here is the congregation comes together as they worship. Their posture was symbolic and reflective, could have been reflective of their hearts. But our posture can be one of two things. It can be reflective of our heart or it can be directive, okay? I was talking to Pastor James. 
It's like, I'm talking about worship. I need you to give me some insight, okay? And, and our posture can be reflective, meaning there are times when worship and you're singing or you hear God's word and you're like, yes, Lord, I, I, I need you. I want you. I'm empty. I surrender. But sometimes we worship, and have you ever felt like your heart's not there? That might be a good time when you need the directive posture of worship. Lord, I'm singing it, but I'm not feeling it but I know I need you. So I'm going to put my hands out there because I need you. I say all this because our ultimate posture towards Scripture and how we approach it and our posture towards worship can be reflective of our heart, and we need to be aware of it. Now, hear me closely. I am not saying that this is prescriptive. I am not saying that you need to raise your hand. All the spiritual people out there, you're going to raise your hand, okay? All the immature walk, believers in Jesus, you know, they're the ones with their hands. And that is not what I'm saying. And I don't think that you should ever force somebody, you know, when they're, you know, in, in worship to, to necessarily say, like, if you really want to grow deeper in your relationship with God, you should probably start dancing, okay? That's not what we're saying. But I want to challenge you And I want to give you the permission that posture does matter and that it can make a difference and that you have that permission to show where your heart is or to say, this is where I know I need to be. It's okay. Take it from someone who's the frozen chosen, okay? So posture makes a difference. And we see God's people showing their hearts and what they were seeking through their posture as they heard the scriptures taught. So the first thing that they do is they seek the scriptures. The second thing they do is they understand the scriptures. Read with me now in verse starting at verse 7, 7 to 12. We're going we're gonna to hit some more names. I'm going to do my best, okay? I promise I practiced. Also, Joshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Echab, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who is the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then they said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not grieve. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words, the, the words that were declared to them. So first, the people sought out the scriptures. Second, it wasn't enough just to seek it, just to hear it, but they wanted to understand it. And we have a beautiful picture here of God's, of, of the Levites, of the priests, and, and of the leaders and the teachers 
taking time to meticulously go through the scriptures. And when it says in verse 7 or verse 8 that they did so clearly, literally translated, it means they did so paragraph by paragraph. They went through the scriptures and then they explained and they taught to all the men and all the women, this is what it means. Now that's great, right? You think this is amazing. People are hearing God's word. It's being taught to them. What would the byproduct of that be? What do you think it would be? Right? Praise God. We understand. But is that, is that what happens? Is that what we see in verse 9? After they understand the scriptures, what happens? Nehemiah and Ezra, they have to go to the people and they have to say, hey, calm down. Rejoice. Don't grieve. Because as the people were seeking and understanding the scriptures, they were weeping. They were weeping because suddenly they were understanding that for years, for decades, remember they were exiles for for over 50 years, for decades they had not been following the law, they had not been reading the book, seeking the book, and suddenly it's dawning on them, they're realizing, oh my word, we are off track. We're we're falling short. We are sinners. And they begin to weep. And the priests and the teachers have to explain to them, listen, you don't need to weep because there's a reason for joy. So when we understand God's word, the first thing ultimately that happens is that we first understand our need for God's grace. Okay? When we're reading God's word, when we hear it preached, when you're at home, you're reading your devotions, wherever you are, when you hear it, the first thing that should be very evident and clear is you need God's grace. If you read his word and you come out of that at the end of the day saying, I'm pretty good. I got it, not, I got it down. I don't need any help. I can do this uh, Christian thing all by my lonesome. Then you have not understood the word of God. Because God's word will first ultimately reveal to us our frailty, our sin, ultimately our need for a savior. But that's not where it stops, right? As the the people continue to understand, they realize that God's word said something beyond how they have fallen short, but that there was a time to rejoice and celebrate because God provided for them in their need of salvation. God provided for them. Now here we're talking about the Jews, we're talking about Israel, and what was the biggest way that God provided for them? What did they always look back to? Think Charlton Heston. They look back to the Exodus, right? how God delivered them from Egypt when they were in slavery, and he freed them. And as they understood the word of God, they understood that there was a feast that was about to happen, the Feast of Tabernacles, where they literally would make tents and live outside for a week. How many of you are like, yes, please? Yeah, I thought so. But it was an opportunity where the scriptures helped them understand Despite your need for God and your helplessness, God always provides. God provides. So the first thing is you understand God's word is that you need his grace. But when we understand God's word, we can then rejoice in his grace. And this is significant because as 
the Nehemiah and, and Ezra are comforting the people, this is what they, he says. He says, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Does that phrase, does that verse sound familiar? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, strength literally could also mean protection or fortress, which is an interesting coincidence, don't you think, that they have just built what around them? A wall, a fortress, a protection. And yet the, the teachers are explaining that the scriptures teach that it is our joy in God and his provision and his grace that is our ultimate strength, our ultimate protection. It's great that we have a wall, but if our hearts are not aligned and renewed, then the wall is meaningless because it is God who is our ultimate protector. He is the one who provides salvation. And when you have that understanding, as disciples, as Jesus followers, when we understand that our protection, our security is not in our works, but it is purely in what God has done, suddenly we don't have to fear. Life can get hard. Life will get hard. There will be challenges. There will be circumstances that are really difficult, and yet we can have a joy knowing that our God is with us every step away and that he will provide whatever we need in those circumstances. And that is why the joy of the Lord is our strength. But if you don't understand the scriptures, it's really hard to grasp that joy. And so the people, as they seek renewal, they sought the scriptures and they went further and they wanted to understand the scriptures. I think it's also a great reminder that, that they needed, everyone needed help. They needed help understanding God's word. Sometimes it can be a daunting task. If you are reading through the Bible with the church family right now, we are in the book of what? As you hear that, the first one's like Leviticus. I hear you. I hear you. I didn't know you could write so much um, about leprosy. I was like, really? How does this apply to me today? Leprosy on the walls? I mean, I got boys. There's things on the wall I don't know, but I know it's not leprosy, right? How does this apply to us? The scriptures at times can seem maybe daunting. There can be passages and words that are confusing, don't let that stop you from seeking understanding the scriptures, but go and ask. I can tell you that this church, God has blessed this church family with many men and women who have a great understanding of the scriptures because they have also asked a lot of questions to other people through the years. And I can tell you, if you have a question, that question should not stop you from seeking the scriptures, but it should push you to understanding the scriptures because we have a church that is ready to help if you have questions. It's okay and it's good to ask questions, but we need to, we, we need to seek and understand the scriptures. Understanding produces joy, and that is our strength. So finally, as the people seek, as they understand, they come to the final part, and God's people find renewal when they apply the Scriptures. 
God's people find renewal when they live out the scriptures. And we see this starting in verse 13 to the end. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses, uh, houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, they were, uh, there, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So they sought the word, they understood the word, and now they were going to apply the word. Here we see that the scriptures... God's words set the agenda for the people. They were getting ready for the Feast of Tabernacles because God told them to do so in his word. And specifically, did you, did you notice a common word? Like what, what word did you keep hearing in that passage? Starts with a B, ends with an ooth. Booth, right? So they were building booths. There were specific instructions to go out, collect leafy things, and build booths, and either on the roofs or in the courtyards. And they were, as custom described, they were to live inside the, this booth for seven days. This is biblically why everyone should go to family camp for a week, right? That's, that's all I'm saying, okay? It's biblical. The purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles, of living in a booth for seven days, was it was a reminder to the people of how Israel lived in tents for 40 years. They wandered the wilderness, and yet God provided for them every day throughout that process. So the Feast of tabernacles, it was a time where they would celebrate God's provision through the harvest, through the crops, through all the food and the bounty that they, that they had, but it was also meant to be a time when they could see and remember how God provided for the people then and how he will provide for them now. So as they applied the scriptures, they understood God and saw God's grace lived out in a completely unique, personal way, which is why we need to apply the scriptures as we understand them. Applying the scriptures helps us understand God's grace even more. It says that something had been done that had never been done since the time of Joshua, son of Nun. They had practiced the Feast of Tabernacles. They did the celebration part with the harvest and the food, but scholars seem to indicate and they say that what hadn't been done was the actual booths, 
where all of God's people made booths and lived outside for that long. And so when they applied the scriptures, suddenly they're outside and the discomfort away from their home, right? And they're remembering and living God's promise that he would provide for them. We can seek the word, we can learn and understand it, but until you apply it and live it out in your life, you will not fully grasp God's grace and his provision for you. If we do not apply his word, we will be, from a distance, looking at everyone else, applying and experiencing that grace. But we're, we're challenged here to go the full, the full way and apply God's word because there's renewal in the word. So how do we find renewal as God's children? We find renewal when we seek the scriptures, when we understand the scriptures, and when we apply the scriptures, when we live out the scriptures. But let's be honest. Seek God's word, learn God's word, apply God's word. For a lot of us, nothing new there, right? It's okay. You can be like, Pastor Eric, good try, but we knew that. But living this out and what this actually means is not, not as easy as just saying, seek it, understand it, live it. What would it look like for a community of God's children, for the church to apply this and to seek and to look for renewal through the scriptures? And I want to push back here a little because oftentimes I would have read, I would read this passage and I would apply this to my life individually. And I would say, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to do my daily devotion. I'm going to read my commentary and I'm going to apply it to my life. Me, 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 right? It's all about me. And yet this is in the context of God's covenantal community. The people of Israel are coming together to seek the word together. They're understanding and learning it together. People are teaching everyone together, and they are living this out together. Just like family camp, hey, you want to build a tent? I need some help. I need some help over here. How do you put up a tent? I don't know. How do you cook in the middle of the woods? I don't know. We shouldn't be doing this. You got to do it together, right? And so in this process of seeking renewal, I want you to get out of the mindset of how do I experience renewal in my life and understand that God is talking to all of us as his children. How do we as a church, as a community, experience renewal together? And we experience renewal together when we all together seek his word. And so we need to get really serious about what it means to seek God's word when we come together on a Sunday morning to hear God's word preached. We're not getting ready because, oh, pa you know, Pastor Eric, he's going to bring the word. It's going to be good. Pastor Brian, he's going to preach it. That's not what it's about. It's about we're coming together to hear the living word of God preached. Are we seeking it? Are we prepping ourselves I don't know, but all I could think of when I was thinking about what do we have to do to get ready to seek, I was just thinking, I, I was talking to a friend uh, earlier this week about church softball. 
they're going to laugh at me. But any, any guy here or, or girl, woman who's like 40 years old or older and in in, is involved in a church softball league, you know very well that you better stretch before you go out and swing, right? I can't tell you how many injuries we have had when we've had church softball and, you know, some guy gets up there feeling like he's 25, but he's 65, and all of a sudden pulls a hammy, right? If you're getting ready to do something big, you need to prepare yourself. You need to get ready. So my question for you is, what have you done to get ready for this morning? This can be hard. I get it. Especially, I know parents, parents, this isn't easy. You're here and your kids are safe. You did it. Good job. Okay. But what can we do to prepare our hearts to get ready to seek the word? You can prayerfully expect things when you come on a Sunday morning. Prayerfully expect that God is going to, to speak, right? Come with that expectation, expectations and anticipate God to work in your heart and the heart of the church. I am not saying come expecting a show. I am not saying come expect a great spiritual TED Talk, okay? I'm saying come expecting that God can and will speak through His Word if you are ready to listen. No matter what the worship is like, God can speak, but you've got to come prepared. You know, I was looking through the emails. Every Friday, if you get, a, if you get the weekly bulletin, we share what the passage of Scripture is going to be preached on. You know what you could do? Read it. Read it through once. Read it through twice. Put it on audio on your way to church. Do something to prepare as you seek the Word. we got to get serious, church, on seeking the Word together. We also have to get serious about understanding. Understanding. All right, we're going to hear it. What are you doing right now to take it home? What are you doing to grow your, grow your understanding of the passage that we just read, whether it's the first time or the 50th time? Do you take notes? I don't know. It's cool. Did you know that it is okay to highlight and underline in a Bible, despite your parents telling you for years, don't draw in a book? It's good to highlight and underline. Most importantly, ask questions. Ask questions. I could come up with a list easily of 20 questions. After going through this list, I have 20 more questions in this very passage that I'm asking myself. I would expect that everyone has questions. Don't keep them to yourself. I'm going to kick myself and regret saying this, but I think it would be wonderful if Monday mornings, pastor across the nation, their inbox was full of questions from the sermon. I'm not talking about arguments, okay? Some of you are like, oh, I've been waiting to tell pastor how he's wrong on so many areas, okay? I'm just going to click delete that one, okay? But seriously, Pastor, I was reading this, Pat, you didn't talk about this one thing. I was kind of curious. What did you mean about that? Ask questions, seek understanding. That's what we're here to do together. Get serious about your understanding. And finally, get serious about letting God set your agenda. Let God set your agenda. I asked, I asked my wife if I could talk about this, but, uh, you know, we just recently got back from a vacation after Christmas, and it was wonderful, and then the next week, do you know what my wife Cheryl was asking me about? 
what are we going to do for next Christmas break? And I'm like, can I just get the kids to school? That's where my mind is, right? Now, I actually love how prepared um, and thoughtful and, and how, how my wife plans ahead. But we can so often plan our calendars and our agendas out so far ahead that you know what we forget? God's agenda. And sometimes our calendar is so full, so packed, that when we seek the Scriptures, when we understand the Scriptures, and we see that we have to apply the Scriptures, sorry, it's not in my calendar, can't do it, maybe next week. When we hear a message and God speaks to us about compassion and we realize, I need to go do, I need to show compassion to some people who are at a nursing home, but my calendar's already full. I don't have any space for God's agenda. We hear a message, we hear God speak to us about reconciliation, and we know we need to have coffee or lunch with somebody. Sorry, this week my calendar's full. I can't change my agenda. How many times does our agenda get in the way of letting the scriptures set what should or should not happen in our daily lives? Church family, let's get serious about seeking the word, understanding, and, and applying it to our circumstances together. I'm excited to see how God could work in and through our lives just as he renewed the people in Nehemiah chapter 8. Will you pray with me? Father, we come here this morning and we are thankful that you have given us your word, your living word, so that we can understand you better, that we can seek you, know you. And now we're asking, Father, that you will allow this to sink into our hearts. Allow us to be able to apply the things that we have heard. Change us, mold us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.